Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Bloke and the Bird, where we are at that point where the F1 season is at its most exciting. Because right now, both Mercedes and Sauber are neck and neck in the lead for the Constructors' Championship with a tie. What is it? It's like a 17, uh, 18-person tie for first place right now? Pretty much. Wow. (laughs) I have never had a more exciting season that just started. Yeah, well. It's the best. It's either that, or the Williams Martini Racing Store is back open again. Oh, that makes you so happy! Yes, I have already picked out. I want the team T-shirt. You want the team T-shirt? It's only it, it's only forty four dollars for a T-shirt. Well, you know that's better than the official shirt. Um, the official team team shirt, as opposed to the T-shirt. That's the button-down one. The one Claire wears? It's pretty close to what Claire wears. That one's ninety four ninety nine. Because that's the shirt I want is the one Claire wears. Yeah. That – if this is a – this is probably the closest to, you can get to what Claire wears. Yeah, it's ninety four ninety nine, And there's no money in F1. <laughs> yeah, there's no money in F1 at all. <laughs> All right, well, so where we are right now, we are now right smack dab in between qualifying and the race in Melbourne. Actually, for when we record, we're probably about an hour and a half away from the race start. But, you know, that's because Australia's oh, tomorrow. <laughs> it's already tomorrow there. It's tomorrow. And we're not going to stay up and watch it live because, well, we like to sleep. Yes, because we can't stay up till tomorrow. We can just wake up tomorrow. Right. But that's okay. So we're sitting between these two events with a fully exponentially excited family that Formula One is now back after the shortest winter break in something like 40 years. Yeah, it's pretty quick. It was, what, 19 weeks? I don't know how many weeks it was, but it was 114 days, I believe. That's probably less than 19 weeks. I would think so. (laughs) I would think so. Um, But it's the shortest winter break they've had in a long, long time. And, of course, that means that all of the cars are ready to hit the grid, right? Ish. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all the teams that were expected did make it to the track. Yes. Then what happened? All kinds of weird stuff. Where do you want to start? Because we have some some ramp up stuff, we've got. You tell me, where do you want to start? Well, I want to talk about two of specifically three of our back marker teams. Can we just talk about them really quick? Absolutely. And get started. I want to talk about Force India real quick. Okay. I don't know if you have anything on Force India, but I want to talk about one of their new sponsors. Is it somebody that um, VJ Malia doesn't own? Yes. No way. Yes. Okay. So one of the newest sponsors for Force India, amazingly that you don't know this and I do. I'm so excited. And I have a little history story for you too. That's what's really cool about this. New sponsor for Force India happens to be Hype Energy Drinks. It is one of the team's former drivers that is involved with this Hype Energy Drinks. And he is unintentionally famous because he went to jail. So, here's the story. Is this Adrian Sutil? No, Bertrand oh. Gar- uh, Gashat. Oh, because Adrian Sutil went to jail. So, they've had two drivers that <laughs> went to jail? <laughs> no, but this was actually a driver that went to jail while on the team. I think Sutil was on the team when he went to jail. Because it was a, a, well, it wasn't a knife fight. It was a broken broken bottle fight in China. That- yeah. <laughs> All right. So, let's go in our Wayback Machine. Jordan Racing okay. of Eddie Jordan mm-hmm. will soon will someday become Force India. Right. They made their debut with a driver named Bertrand Gashot. G-A-C-H-O-T. Gashot? I don't know how to pronounce it. We know this. He's a Luxembourg-born driver. Would actually score the team's first points in Canada and was set the fastest lap in Hungary that year. However, he was jailed prior to the Britain race. 
with a judge sentencing him to two years relating to some some charges of some kind. <laughs> Whatever. He did something. No, this is where it gets cool. This is the where the story gets really cool. He's eventually freed in two months, but Jordan needed a driver for the next race in Spa. Aha. Uh-huh. So this is where a young Inter- German shows a up. A young German named Michael Schumacher enters the race. He sets history by qualifying seventh, you know, and yeah. and everything falls into place and all things line up. So uh, Gachot's career never reaches the same pinnacle again after his jailing. And so now he is proud to for hype energy drinks to sponsor the team he used to race for over 20 years ago. So it's this That's everything wild. old is new again combination. That's kind of wild. I just thought that was such a wild story. And it's the only thing I have to talk about for India because, well, it's for India. <laughs> hey, you know, before we get too far, we should mention that – if you are new to Formula One, you haven't uh, – th- you've got some questions about how the race weekends work because it is a little different, a little odd. Um, BBC did a fantastic beginner's guide, um, and it's th- they titled it the Beginner's Guide to the New Season, but it's a beginner's guide to the sport and how the race weekends work, where the what teams there are, where the races are, all of that stuff. How points are applied. Yes, which is is bizarre in its own there um but we'll go and we'll throw a link to that over in the podcast in the show notes and i will even try and remember to link to it over on facebook i think i had already but we'll do it again because it's well, a good article. i think you did mention it because you also mentioned that you could read this or just watch nbc sports because they'll repeat it at yes. the beginning of every show and you'll have it memorized yeah you, you'll be able to repeat it back if you watch nbc news nbc sports so you know either way you'll get this Okay, so that was our Force India story and our beginner story. Okay. So now, still going through those back markers. We had lawsuits for Sauber. Yes. This Talk about freaky story. How does a team get in this situation? You know, it, it seems that ever since Monisha Keltenborn took over this team and full control of this team – they have been involved in an incredible number of just sketchy decisions and poor choices. And not sketchy decisions like Ross Braun, like let's play the edge of the, the – and fast and loose with the rules. We're talking sketchy like beginners would kind of wonder if this was a great well, idea. We're, we're talking sketchy like let's announce that we've signed a deal with a Russian oligarch whose money comes from really questionable sources. And oh, by the way, as part of that deal, we're going to let his 19-year-old son become a driver, even though he's never sat in a race car before. Yeah, there was that one. Yeah. Or Or we've got contracts with two sitting drivers, but we're going to all of a sudden announce that we have contracts with two new drivers. So if you're not following how all of this played out, the storyline is very simple. It's a story you've heard a thousand times before. F1 team has contract with driver. F1 team reneges on contract with driver. Driver sues F1 team. F1 team forced to put driver in car. Last minute settlement in the back room. What we think has happened. And, you know, we talked about this last week that Guido Vandegaard had, has sued the team to get, this, get the seat. He has won now not only the Swiss arbitration. He has won the court case in Victoria, Australia. He has won Sauber's appeal of said decision in Victoria, Australia. There was talk early the, er, Thursday, Friday time frame that – Already a contempt of court statement was being prepared to include seizure of assets and arrest of Monisha Keltenborn if he if Guido was not allowed to drive. He actually was presented he actually showed up for a seat fitting in Australia. This I mean mm-hmm. the last minute deal that got cut to not put him in the car was truly last minute because they were fitting seats to that boy. What I think happened and we haven't gotten this other piece. We know that Guido did not have his super license, and without your super license, you cannot drive. 
Correct. You cannot apply for a super license until there is a contract in place. You can't just go to the FIA and say, hey, I want to go drive an F1. Give me a super license, even if you've just won GP2. You have to have a contract with an F1 team. So until something had happened with the court case, the Dutch Autosports Federation, because Guido's Dutch, and it has to come from your nation's autosport federation they couldn't process the application to get it to the f1 until that contract was done until that decision was made because that decision wasn't made until friday i don't think the dutch had enough time to process the application to get it to the fia to get his super license which put everybody in a bind and that's why i think guido was willing to take this um take this settlement or to push this settlement to at least give everybody an exit for this weekend. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think this is going to be resolved for Malaysia. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know where this is going after that. So that's our Sauber little fun. Y- you got to think that, that Peter Sauber is looking to strangle Manisha Kaltenborn at this point because well, she's how, a lawyer. How in the world is she still got a job? I mean, Ferrari was firing people for breathing wrong last year, and she's still got a job? Yeah, she's I mean, got to have naked pictures. Yeah, that may be. Who knows who these naked pictures are? I mean, Bernie. Oh, God. <laughs> Actually, it probably has nothing to do with Bernie. It's not Bernie's call. Nah, Peter probably. Sauber and, and somebody at the board over there, but this is ridiculous. All right. So our back marker, back marker. Manor. I think, I think Manor they ship, ship the cars and forgot to take the keys. Well, when you you know you put everything in perspective at this point, you have a team that basically went from absolute nothing or you know barely passable chassis to on the grid in Melbourne in what two weeks? Three, three weeks. Three weeks. They did not have a drivable car. A presentable car that would pass the 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 crash test, crash test or anything. Three weeks they have put something on the grid, and even the the guy that owns Manor Marussia now and King. um and their team principal have said what they have done truly is miraculous. Absolutely. Um, to even have something show up there. Um, they can't get – as of qualifying, they could not participate in qualifying because they could not get their car started. Um, I personally think they just forgot the keys. I mean seriously, I'm well, pulling for these people. We're not clear because NBC's coverage just mentioned that they were having communications problems with the car. BBC – and it was thrown out in a passing comment. BBC's coverage said that – they were having problems getting the car started. They didn't. They couldn't get the car started. Right. So we're not sure exactly what the reality is. We do know that um, Manor Marusha has been working through software issues. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been working through communications issues, just getting telemetry between their pit wall and the car. Um, and uh, actually, it's just the pit wall in the car. They have no other operations. Um, there, there's no team in Woking that's helping them out. Yeah. Um, Banbury is where mm-hmm. it would be. But yeah, there, there's nothing else there. Um, we offered. We were turned down. I guess we were too expensive. W- what I think it is most stunning, though, is that we've seen the first pictures of this car. And other than what I think is the required Pirelli branding, there is no sponsors on this car whatsoever. I mean, it is blank. But do you know what is on that car? Because it's not Tires? in your picture. No, it's oh. not in your picture. That's why I know you don't know what the answer to this question is. Is there a Sainsbury logo on it? No, there's not a Sainsbury logo. Oh. There's a uh, a nod to Jules Bianchi. Is there? Yep. There's a hashtag JB17. Very cool. Um, apparently. And I like that better than Forza Jules, so that's cool. Yeah. Um, uh, Fernando tweeted today at the start of the qualifier for the jewels um but the team has put on their car um the jb17 and the all of the when they do their team their class picture mm-hmm. that they do before that there's supposed to be some sort of nod to jules who is still fighting his battle in a coma he yeah. has not woken up yet 
Um, his, fa- his father, Philippe, has come out and said that at this point, all we can do is hope that he will wake up. They can't, they can't do anything but wait. Yeah. Um, which is really, really sad. And he's been in a coma for a very long time. Um, but they are continuing to investigate that crash from last year and they are the family is hired some lawyers in case there's anything that would be attributable to wrongdoing hmm interesting so of note and this is just a side note about that and i'll close out the little sad piece of of jewels jackie stewart was interviewed recently about um the differences between when he raced and racing now Mm -hmm. and he talked a lot about everything from there were more people in the pits because there weren't actual like pit passes yeah but there was also a lot of more recognizable personalities that would always be in the pits and so you Mm -hmm. knew a lot more people and his big thing about safety and everything he uh actually mentioned that the fia and the investigating body have not asked him to be on the committee in any form whatsoever and is probably due to a continuing battle with uh max mosey that he he and uh some other people in the fia have uh, butted heads way too often in the past and that they they have not asked him to be a part of it and he finds it a little surprising given the fact that he is on the forefront of safety it, it seems odd and, and uh, you know i'm not even sure what max mosley has to do with it he's... he's coming out with a book this year by the way okay it's supposed to come out in the summer Jackie seems to think that he's going to be featured in it. Apparently, their rivalry and arguments are notorious. Hmm. I don't know. But, um, I mean, Jackie lost a lot of buddies and friends in his time in Formula One. Um, His wife apparently kept uh, scrapbooks. And there's 18 scrapbooks full of people who passed. Oh, I believe it. It's... It was it was truly a deadly time. Yeah. All right. So, should we move on to some changes for the season? The new rules. Yeah. Tell me what the new rules are. Um. Well, you know we've got uh, a new ten second penalty. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> they, they've now specified with qualifying um, how it'll work with fewer teams. Okay. We don't have to guess on that like we did last year when teams disappeared. This is, I think, one of the big ones. Actually, before I even mention that, we'll mention car design. We don't. We no longer have the snouts. Mm-hmm. Um, starting the race because the FIA was really ticked off over Ferrari in Singapore when they had problems with Alonso's car not clearing out of the grid like they were supposed to. Um, there is now a penalty if they're not off the track fast enough. Mm-hmm. Um, the virtual safety car is a new thing, and this I don't really like. Um, this is a direct result of Jules Bianchi's crash um, and the allegations that drivers are ignoring the double yellows or in a double yellow flag situation. Since it's just you have to drive slower, There's this is to go – and it, it basically retards the engine and slows everything down. It takes yeah. control of the driver's speed in terms – well, it, it puts a maximum limit on their speed in a double yellow situation. Okay. So they're calling it a virtual safety car because, you know, a safety car does the same thing. It slows everybody down. Because you can't pass it. But this is just without rolling the safety car. So they well, tested it, can, it twice. It can – if you think about it, in the case of like a Jules Bianchi situation, they've said that the reason he hit was because he went in too fast in that mm-hmm. corner. Um, being able to if, – if a safety car had been launched, let's say, between the two crashes mm-hmm. – it may not have made it to where Jules was to slow him down. Yeah. F- before he got there, so I can. I mean, I can understand it. I don't know. I don't know necessarily if I disagree with it. I mean, I just don't like the fact that this is something automatic outside of the car. That is okay. Flip a switch and we slow all the cars down. That kind of bothers me. I would be fearful of some. Unintended con- safety consequence, truly. I mean, the thought of every car is now 25% slower because we've got an issue on the track, that doesn't inherently bother me. What I'm concerned about is they're flipping a switch and you've taken speed away. And we know that those cars are more, they, they have more traction, they have more yeah. connection when they have the speed. If you take too much of that away from them, could you unintentionally create 
another issue. I, I'm thinking more along the lines of what happens if, and and we've seen it before, an ECU glitches and the car throws itself into virtual safety car mode. Well, you know, it. just like an ECU glitches and Mark Weber has problems getting off the line. <laughs> just yes, saying. But that only ever happened to Mark Weber. Yeah. Um, there are changes to the safety car rules now. Mm-hmm. Um, it Up until this year, the safety car used to run until lapped cars had caught up. Mm-hmm. That is no longer the case. The incident is cleared. Lapped cars, if they haven't caught up, they're still going to be lapped. Okay. And the race restarts. Um, they did ditch – thank God. They did ditch the proposal that uh, resuming a race after a safety car of doing um, – a full stop of the race and, and a full restart. Mm-hmm. They, they've made that go away. So it's still a, a running start. A rolling like a, start. Because the old way was ridiculous. Um, and then, of course, there's probably the two stupidest rules. Number one, uh, the addition of the titanium skid plate on the bottom of the car <laughs> to throw sparks because it looks cool. Okay. Number one... And number two, drivers are not allowed to substantially change their helmets between races, which I'm assuming the only reason why substantially is there is because if you change sponsors or something like that, you can swap them out. But no more special helmets. Okay. DC, uh, David Cothard of the Beeb fame. Well, actually, he's known mostly for his tight white pants. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's a wonder that boy doesn't sing soprano. Um, anyway. He's got kids. How? I Are they his? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he was wearing looser pants back then. Anyway, Tight Pants DC, he uh, came out and he actually spoke to the helmet rule. His feeling, now you got to understand, DC is a very much a company man and team mortars kind of guy mm-hmm. but his feeling was i guess one of the teams that he worked for at one point had come to him and his racing uh teammate and said design your own helmet mm-hmm. and he refused he said it's your name your brand you should design it. it it should match what you guys are doing and that's his feeling and that these specialty helmets he thinks distracts because he thinks his feeling is it's about having the most recognizable have, being able to recognize the drivers the easiest, and you do that with a consistent helmet. That was his take on it. You know, my problem is that the only way that I can recognize a driver by their helmet is when they're using the in-car over the driver's head cam. That's it. Otherwise, you can't make out the helmet enough to figure out who you're looking at. Or, you know, when they're walking down the pits after crashing or something like that, and they're still wearing their helmet. That Then I can figure out who they are. Beyond that, you don't see enough of that little blob as it goes by. <laughs> and we're not at the tracks to experience it firsthand. I mean, that's that's granted. But the other thing is, and I think this is where the, the rule is going to bite them in the bottom, is those helmets, those specialty helmets, do often get auctioned off for charity. And some charity out there is going to be able to go back and say, little Susie died of cancer because we didn't get a helmet from – you know, so-and-so driver like we have every other year. Have you heard what Sebastian Vettel's uh, remarks to this were? No. It was along the lines of, I'm not sure what the penalties are, but if they are what they normally are of uh, a few thousand dollars fine that that ends up going to charity, I will change my helmet every week. I like (laughs) The other big rule change... And we are already probably going to see the impact of this rule change is that teams are restricted to just four engines a year, which means say you're in free practice two and your engine explodes. Just spitballing, I guess. Just spitballing and your engine explodes and your team needs to replace the engine. Well, that's great. Now you have – three engines left for the rest of the year. 
I get wanting to turn around and make these engines more reliable, and reliability is a huge thing. Well, you that's know, cost. That's a cost cap. Some thing. of it is cost. Some of it also, you know, if you think about it, for teams like Mercedes in particular, who has a strong, very popular automotive business, maybe they don't want their race cars blowing up engines. Mm-hmm. You know, Ferrari, they're a little more niche. Nobody else out there really care. Well, maybe Honda would be the other one that that it, it doesn't really look good for your automotive business if your race car engines are blowing up. Beyond that, though, you're just crippling everybody. I, I mean, I get that you want to limit the number of engines and then want a major well, component change. You don't want to do what they used to do, which was okay. You ran a f- engine in free practice one. We're going to change it out in free practice two, and in a different one for every. I get that part. Well, the thing is. Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, they can afford to change out an engine all the time. Yeah. Man or Marussia, they probably have two. One yeah. in each car. Um, Speaking of Man or Marussia and engines, NBC's coverage caused us some confusion. Yes. Because they showed the drivers and, and their team breakout, and Marussia, they tagged with a Mercedes logo. According to... Formula One management, and from the reports that we've seen, Manor Marussia are running Ferrari engines. I have no idea. Yeah. Not sure what's going on with that. Well, like I said, they only probably have two, one for each car right now, so who knows. Hey, do you know that Sub's named his Ferrari now? No, I hadn't heard. What what has he named it? I know. This is going to shock you. Eva. It actually does, because I thought he was going with H names for a while. Actually, no. Um, Hungry Heidi was his only H name. Oh. He had Luscious Liz and Kate's Dirty Little Sister. That's right. Uh, Kate's Dirty Sister, not Little. I don't know why I said Little. And Hungry Heidi. He didn't get along well with Susie and didn't bother to name the second chassis that he had, because he had two chassis in 2004. (laughs) He didn't even bother to name that second chassis. Actually, uh, I, believe, I believe he did. They just don't want to publish it. <laughs> <laughs> However, he uh, he did name his Ferrari chassis Eva, or Eva, Eva I believe. Um, and uh, his statement was, well, I guess the biblical associations are pretty obvious. It's my first year with Ferrari. Okay. So uh, the funny dimension of this is that his race engineer's surname is Adamami. A- A- Adam... Adamai. Adamai, yeah. A-D-A-M-I. You know who his race engineer previously was the race engineer for? Or who he was, he previously served as the race engineer for? Who? Jensen Button. Oh. He came over from McLaren. That's Jensen's old engineer. Ah. Well, yeah. All right. So what do you want to do next? I don't know. Well, let's talk about Fernando, because even though he is not there, he's still a story. Yes. Well, you know, we we joked last week, and and it was a running joke last week, that Fernando, when he woke up, thought he was still in karting, and it was 1995, and imagine a shock, because he's now lost 20-some-odd years of his life, just like that! whether or not he was concussed and all that stuff. Well, his manager, Flavio Briatore, <laughs> says that um, basically the the thought that he was still a go-kart racer after being knocked out in a testing crash is nonsense. <laughs> he blames the Spanish. No. Yes. So he says that the, the stories originated in Spain and everyone else wrote about it because it was almost funny. It, but he also says that the crash was strange. Well, actually, he says it was very strange. Now, along the same lines, you know, we questioned um, the state of Fernando's head injury, especially in light of the comments of Ron Dennis. Mm-hmm. Ron has since come out and said, yeah, you know, the things I was saying the other day about Fernando being okay and not having a concussion and, and all of that – yeah, that that may not have been right. 
Well, that's good. I'm glad he finally agreed that he was concussed, like everybody else in the world said he was concussed. He, welcome to reality, Ron. <laughs> we'll see how long you're there. After this weekend, I don't know. <laughs> so, Mercedes. Mercedes. Because let, let's get to this weekend and where things are going. The reality is this season. Wait. Okay. You have something? I have one more thing before you can talk about this weekend. Okay. And the results. I, we need to finally put the pin, that final nail in the coffin that the good old days aren't always that good. Okay. I have actual statistics. Uh-oh. I know. Did, did you go downstairs and grab the all, all the F1 races book that the boy did a book report on? Well, I took his book report and I digested okay. it. And, 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 and <laughs> No, no. I actually found an article that summarized the statistics for me. Um, but kind of want to go through some of these things about the good old days. Premise of the article that I'm reading is basically exactly what I said was whatever era you started watching Formula One in is the good old days mm-hmm. with giant air quotes around it. And we always hearken back to the good old days. Mm-hmm. However, let's just take a quick look of what modern F1, today's F1, looks like statistically compared to those other generations. Okay. We've heard... Do we need the Wayback Machine? No, we don't need the Wayback Machine. Oh, okay. Um, margin of victory. Okay. Do you know that it's only been in these last few years that the margin of victory is really about nine seconds? Between first and second. In the, let's see, it, it's the lowest per, lowest of any period measured. In the late 80s, it was typically a half a minute. In the 70s, it was over a minute. And in the 50s, if you go back, in the 60s, it was almost, um, it was several minutes later that the second place car would come across the checkered flag. Well, you know, I gotta wonder when it comes to, especially the fifties and the sixties, with how radically different the tracks were, plus the fueling and things like that. But th- you're talking significantly longer tracks, mm-hmm. so a lap would be dramatically longer than you know. You wouldn't be looking at a minute and a half lap. You're probably looking at four to five minutes a lap. So that would make sense for those margins to be much, much bigger. Correct. Now, the going hand-in-hand hand with the margin change is the number of cars that finish on the winner's lap. Okay. So today's Formula One, it's 12 cars typically finish on the winner's lap. That means 12 cars are not lapped by the winner. Right. All right? That's less than 10 years ago. It was eight. In the 80s, it was four. Wow. In the 60s, it was just over two and a half. Wow. So in the 60s, if you didn't podium, you were probably lapped. <laughs> um, now, the number of leaders in a race, so the number of times the, the, the race lead changes, the race leads, present day, it's about 2.5 changes. Mm-hmm. That is, I think it's third place in all of the decades that was looked at. The 2000s, it was 2.75. That was the highest. And in the 60s, it was 2.68. So of the golden ages, we're right there up in... So they were very processional back then, too. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. The 80s, which people seem to love, Mm -hmm. that was only 1.98. Wow. So, you know, just kind of it wasn't necessarily better you know one of the things that that i've heard people remark about it is that you know there's all these complaints about how mercedes is just dominating and and they're going to run away and how awful it is and and how great it was in the pro center years and then but they always forget the fact that when prost and center were running mclaren they were running away with the races with margins that were just as big, if not bigger, than Mercedes was doing last year. Because we don't know about this year yet. We don't know this year yet. Overtaking. Big controversial thing about overtaking, right? hmm Here you go. Present day, there are typically on an average race 39.3 overtakes in a given race. Okay. In the 2000s, that was 13.9. Now, see, my question with overtaking, 
mm-hmm. because at some point we change how pit stops work and we take and the, out fueling. And I'm kind of wondering how that impacts, you know, the, the longer pit stops impacted the number of passes because you had the faster cars sitting in the pits longer than they do today. It's a thorny subject, and it's even called out here. Um, it is clear, the measuring the best data that they can, data does not go pack, back into the 70s mm-hmm. on overtaking. It is still clear that the cars are passing with much greater frequency than ever before. Even in the 80s turbo era, in the days of Prost Senna, there were on average 33 overtakes a race, and now there are only 39. Wow. So it is still more. Now, the only thing that I will say and this is the last thing of those stats here, that they could possibly argue the good old days were better than today, is the number of different teams on the podium. And with reliability becoming such an issue and such, we're having more consistency within the teams. And so, yes, we are at the lowest point of having different teams appear on the podiums on average in this decade than we have in any prior decade. However, it's a, by a difference of two. Really? Yeah. We look at going all the way back to the 60s, there were an average of eight different teams on the, the podium, mm-hmm. and today it's six. Wow. So, Because I was thinking, well, maybe that's what it is that they keep latching on to about how the races were so much better. Is it because cars were breaking down and the result – but it, they don't seem to be changing all that much for that. So, okay. So – can can we can we bury this coffin now that it wasn't better in the ye oldie days? You know, since we don't normally go in and beat up on that, we could bury it. But I guarantee you, other journalists—well, actual journalists—and <laughs> <laughs> other commentators and F one pundits—they're not going to let it go, and they're going to ramp up on this again. And we'll probably hear about it. I'm sure. Before the summer break. I'm sure. They would be wrong. I have statistics. And I, too, have read the book on how to lie with statistics, too. So, nanner, nanner, nanner. All right. <laughs> so, now we're ready to start ramping into this weekend? Yes. All right. Well, you know, just like everybody else, I guess you have to start with the elephant in the room. you got to start with Mercedes. They are not an elephant. They are a cheetah. They are the fastest land mammal on Fair enough. You got to start with the fastest. Yes. They're still going to be the fastest. They're still going to smoke everybody. The thing that we have gotten confirmation on, at least for now, Toto Wolf is saying that just like last year, Lewis and Nico are going to be allowed to race. They are not going to rein them in. Yay! At least as long as it looks like Mercedes going to be well ahead of everybody else. Well, I think that as long as they keep bringing the cars home. Yeah, well, I I think if it looks like someone's going to be getting close and and the championship isn't quite as uh, out of reach as it initially looks, then they might start reeling the boys in. But right now it sounds like they are going to be free to race and the rivalry will continue. What was the headline of that article that you read? Because I thought that headline said it all. The headline was, Mercedes sticks to policy of open warfare between drivers. Excellent. And I think that's what's going to make it an, an interesting season. Now, to get all techie for a second. Okay. We know the Mercedes are crazy fast. Mm-hmm. Give an example of how crazy fast they are. They were They smoked in Quali 1 and Quali 2 on the harder compound tire. Yeah. Every other team. Yeah. This is, it's got to be completely disheartening if you thought you were going to have any chance of catching them. I mean, this is just kind of brutal. So, you know, we've had the, we've talked a little bit about how poor Lewis's off season was. You know, he, (laughs) you, you would have thought that you are the world champion. Formula One, you are a big time celebrity. You would be walking on sunshine, baby. Well, you'd be thinking that. He broke but, up with his on again, off again, on again, off again, on again, off again, on again, off again girlfriend. Something like that. You know, flip a coin and who knows where that would go. You know, but, but, you know, we also got word because uh, the BBC will focus on this stuff. We, we found out what. 
Nico has done and, and what he's done this summer. Winter. Well, you know, it depends. <laughs> okay, if you want to you want to go by the Australian measure, where we are right now, it's summer. Yeah, but if where we did it in, was in the winter. Well, that's different. But, th- you know, this is what we got fr- from Nico. Winter was great. Uh, interesting for our little family also. Yeah. Uh, we went from two members to four members within a week. Huh? Can he do math? Yeah, I... I, I don't know how you make that work, okay? You got Nico. You got wife Vivian, who announced that she's pregnant but hasn't had the kid yet because that's coming like June or July-ish or something like that. So that doesn't count. What? Well, it turns out that what has actually happened – yes, he's counting the baby, although I don't know why. But they have gotten a puppy. You think it's a bulldog named Roscoe? Or Coco? <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe, it, maybe he he's, maybe it's a bulldog named Lewis. That's that was my thought, Lewis. <laughs> Probably a French bulldog. Either that or an English English uh, sheepdog. <laughs> <laughs> it's a greyhound. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's that. Um, you know, other teams and other issues that are going on, like we we alluded to earlier. Um, Red Bull, and noticing that their tone has changed a little bit. You know, last year, um, when it came to their issues with Renault and the engines, yeah, they were frustrated, and yeah, they were upset, but it was always the, it's going to get better, it's coming, we know we just need to work this out, it's going to happen. During NBC Sports coverage, in response to... Daniel Ricardo's major engine failure in free practice two, and apparently Kvyat's I don't know exactly when his engine blew up. Actually, it caught fire. I was going to say, Daniel's blew up, Kvyat's um, caught fire and burned all the wiring. Yeah. Um, they had on um, – Will, Bu- Will Buxton interviewed uh, Adrian Newey, who was down at the race, and – Absolute frustration and annoyance. They are upset over this engine. They are upset with Renault. It wasn't clear to me whether uh, Nui was saying that there has been no improvement in performance since Abu Dhabi last year or no improvement in performance since the start of testing this year. Either way would be unacceptable. Yes. Um, Kvyat, I believe, got in all of 15 laps of running between free practice one and qualifying. It's just crazy. It is. Obviously, Mercedes took the run. Yep. Pole and second place. It's an all-Mercedes front Ferrari running extremely well. This is going to be interesting. I think it's going to be a really interesting battle between Williams and Ferrari. I think that's what's getting set up to be the battle for second and third. For now. For now. And then, actually, the other interesting one is that as much as Red Bull is complaining about these engines and how bad they are, is Toro Rosso running the same engines that are running almost as well, if not better, than the Red Bulls? That's what's crazy, is what what's the difference between these cars that... Toro Rosso is getting more out of their engine than Red Bull can figure out how to get out of theirs. With two inexperienced drivers with a lot less just general time in a single-seat racer than Red Bulls. What is it? Verstappen has been in a single-seat car for a year? He did. Last year was his first year in, I believe it was... Uh, Formula 3.5, or is it Sainz who won Formula 3.5? But, yeah, he had one year in single-seat racing. Everything else was karting. And Sainz won Formula 3. Yeah, 3.5. Youngest to ever win the series. Now he's the elder statesman on his team. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I got to give, you know, there's a lot of talk about Verstappen being, you know, so young. He's 17 years old. Um, so young, so young, so young. Mm-hmm. He is the son of a Formula One racer. You know, he's grown just the boss. He's grown up around it. I get all of that. But they interviewed him. I gotta give him credit. 
he speaks very well. Yes, he he seems like a much older man than he actually is. And they talk very much about him being a mature mature on the track for his age. Yes. I mean, I don't think he's an elder statesman like button on the track. But But one of the things that they have talked about is neither one of them put a foot wrong during the practices and during the last couple of rounds of testing. They have been very well composed. Exactly. So then we get down to the far end of the grid and the what the heck is going on moment. You know, we knew things were going to be bad over at McLaren Honda, but you know, you know, I'll I'll just let Jensen's opening comments from BBC's <laughs> coverage explain everything here. Very limited mileage in, in testing. Normally, you don't understand other people's packages, but at the moment, we don't understand ours fully. Okay, now I I get that Jensen in, until he gets absolutely utterly frustrated with a car will talk as positively as he can. He will find something positive about it. But to turn around and say, we don't know our own package yet? Whoa. Well, there's that. He goes on to say that he's actually really excited about the season because there's so much room for them to make up. So wait a minute. Let's let's think about that one for a second. He's excited because... He gets to go from the very back of the grid. This is the first time in 49 years McLaren did not make it out of Q1. No, no, no. It, it's they're one of their worst performance. It's not the first time in 49 years that, that they didn't make it out of Q1. The, the team's about 50 years old. <laughs> um, no, it was like 96 was the last time they didn't get out of Q1. Oh, okay. Um, it, was a <laughs> it, wasn't quite, it wasn't quite that bad. It, it was bad. This was absolutely terrible. Um, well, I mean, they're competing with Manor Marussia now. Keep that in mind. The teams that did not make it out of Q1, the whole teams, the only two of them are Manor Marussia and McLaren. No, that's not true. One of the Saubers did make it. No, whole teams. Oh, entire teams. Okay, I got it. I see where you're going. Okay, that makes a little more sense. <laughs> I mean, it used to be yeah. that when they did, we did qualifying, you could guarantee that all of Marussia, all of Caterham, and back in the, the heady days of, of your HRT, weren't going to make it out of Q1. You could yeah. guarantee you that. You could safely bet that. That would be fine. However, to have McLaren not make it out of Q1? Yeah, this is just... You know, I, I think they would have been better off if they had given Jensen his triathlon bicycle and said, do the lap in that. You're going to – you know, the, the statistic that came back from um, – I think it was Alan McNish who had mentioned this. The the time difference between um, McLaren's fast Jen, – actually Jensen's lap because he was uh, placed higher than Kevin. Um, between Jensen's fastest lap in qualifying – and Lewis Hamilton's pole-setting lap was five seconds. Yes. By the time they did a side-by-side from turn the approach into turn one into turn four. By the time they got to turn four, Lewis was already a second and a half ahead of Jensen. It's crazy. Th- this is not simply a matter of... You know, we, we've got some improvements. There, there's a couple of pieces that we just haven't worked out the kinks yet that we're going to bring in, and, and bring online in Barcelona and for the European races, and this car is going to magically be competitive. Uh-uh. You're, you're not getting five seconds back. You're not getting three seconds back. I think they'll be lucky if they get two. Well, okay. In that interview later with <clears throat> Jensen, he also mentioned that their only problem is not that engine. And well, they, there's been a lot of spin. There's been a lot of spin that it's, you know, Honda's behind a year and they haven't figured out the shove yet and all this kind of stuff. But that's not it. He mentioned point blank that they don't have the downforce. No, he backed that up because they no, asked he him. because they, fast. Be, because he fast. Originally he said, you know, if you need downforce, you can always add it. And one of the things he said is this car is – like no other McLaren he's ever driven, it is very composed. It does what you want it to do. Obviously, it doesn't because it doesn't go fast enough. 
but there, <laughs> it doesn't drive fast and you want to go fast. So it does not do what you want. But And he started to say, and, you know, the things that we can do as we go along is if we need downforce, we can add downforce. And it was – it wasn't Susie he was talking to. It was – Lee McKenzie. Yeah, it was Lee McKenzie, and, and, and Lee picked up on it and said, so are you saying the car lacks downforce? And he instantly said, well, no, I'm only using that as an example. Downforce isn't the issue. Aerodynamically, the car is sound, but it's something that oh, we could— Oh, he I mean, he backed fast. Fast. So, but, so there's something else going on with that car. Would I rather be in a car that's just inside the top 10 and, you know, we feel that we've got the maximum out of it? Probably not. You know, at least— we're in a car in a package that's brand new, yeah. and we know that we can make big strides with this with this package. Um, and to be fair, the car actually doesn't feel too bad. You know, the basic car, you know, with my inputs, it's doing what I want it to. So there's a lot of room for improvement with this car. Um, and I think with, when you have a car that really feels good underneath you, you can add downforce to it. You've got a nice, clean airflow, and y you can make big strides, and that's exactly, obviously, what we need to do. So problem-wise, you've got a problem... Uh, downforce you just mentioned but power as well well i didn't say downforce really is a problem but um you know the car is is new you know when you look at the car it's completely different mclaren to anything i've ever driven the philosophy the idea behind the the uh, airflow the aerodynamics uh, and obviously the power unit is pretty much brand new when you look at the mileage that other people were able to do in testing last year the manufacturers you know they had two teams three teams to work with with us it's very limited so you know, we're, it's always going to be a tough battle at the start of the year. But I can see that we can, you know, I feel that we can make big strides forward this year. And that's the exciting thing for me, you know. And, and uh, it's going to be a lot of hard work for the next few weeks and months. But um, it's worth it because, you know, last year wasn't a great year for us. We were sort of middle of the pack. This year we can we can improve a lot this year and who soon. knows where we'll end up soon hopefully well i mean it can't happen overnight just me saying soon isn't going to make it any better we know we've got a lot of work to do and um you know every time we drive the car there's something new with the power unit there's something new with the the car mechanically aerodynamically so you know everyone's doing a great job of um of bringing performance but it's it's difficult when you're also limited with reliability but we're all uh, working together helping the guy sit next to us and everyone staying positive and because we know it could turn into something very special in the future. We've heard from Kevin and we've heard from Jensen before, even in testing, that they said aerodynamically the way the car handles is not the problem. The problem is power and it's engine reliability and it's the engine systems. And the other thing that's going to be very interesting and um, – the reality is if both of these cars finish tomorrow, it's going to be a miracle because neither – Honda has – McLaren Honda has yet to run that engine at full power for a race distance. It has not been done. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, Toro Rosso or, or Red Bull and Renault last year were in the same situation. And, and they, they put somebody on a podium. Now the podium yeah. was pulled away from him, but they put somebody on a podium. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not entirely sure that – that's apples to apples, but it is possible not to have run race distances prior to the first race. I, I kind of see more the miracle that if that car finishes, there's your miracle. They're, they're not, I don't see them even getting points out of this race, not when you're that far behind. I mean, seriously. Well, okay, keep in mind, we are talking about McLaren, who didn't have any points last year at all. No, they had points. They, have, they had points. What do you mean they didn't have points? Australia last year, number two and number three, was Kevin Magnuson and Jensen Button after Daniel Ricciardo got disqualified. Was that the only points they got last year? No. Because Sauber's targeting them. Sauber had no points. Okay, Sauber is targeting Mc trying to beat McLaren this year. Yes. Sau Sauber was pointsless, but McLaren had several top ten finishes. Okay. They, there were points. I, I, I guarantee you that they were not <laughs> shut. They were not impressive for most of the season, and they did capture podiums in the first race. But that was the only time that they were on the podium, and that was their best race. Okay, moving on. Okay. Well, I guess you probably want to talk about the Williams situation now. Well, we do have late breaking news. Okay. Um, and, you know, it's so weird because the Australia race is on a different day, even though – because we're so – the time difference is so crazy. Mm -hmm. um, so 
as of the taping of this, um, Botas, Valerie Botas, um, has been in the hospital with back pain, and he had back pain starting in Q2 today. Mm-hmm. Um, now, he, uh, they feel that his sixth place finish in qualifying is probably due to the back pain. Apparently, every time he broke, he put his foot on the brake, it, mm-hmm. it hurt. Um, now, he was examined at the circuit and then sent to the hospital, and he's he spent the night in the hospital. The preliminary scans in the hospital now have come out and say that he has sustained some soft tissue damage in his lower back. Right. Um, he will remain in the hospital overnight working with a physiotherapist um, to be finally assessed by the FIA in the early afternoon before the race. To find yeah, out he, he has makes. been discharged. Okay. Um, and the team will update further as information is available. However, if Botas does not pass the medical, he will not be allowed to race, and Williams will only field Felipe Massa. So it does not look like we will have our first female driver in nearly four decades. I'm kind of speechless on both levels here. You know, between the fact that Valtteri has this problem and and may not be able to run – um, and the fact that they've got a reserve driver and they can't use it. And I, I'm only assuming it's because Susie didn't drive in qualifying. That's the only thing I can think of. Well, not – yeah, I, I'm guessing it's because of the qualifying piece. It says that she did not participate in a single session during the race weekend, so she didn't even drive in free practice one. Yeah. It's, it's sad that Botas might – be on a risk i mean he's he's a great driver um and in fact probably statistically a little bit better than Massa in the last year yeah i think he is the thing is you know just missing a race yeah we want him to be better and if that's what it needs to be it probably won't have that the way valtteri drives probably won't have that huge of an impact on his season um, I think he will easily earn the points to get up in that top two or top, th- well, top three, actually. I don't think top two. Uh, top three or top four um, pretty quickly. Yeah. I think that will be very interesting. I'm hopeful that his you know, little bit of therapy, maybe a, a shot in the back will be helpful. But he's also going to be starting mid-grid, and that can be tough, too. Yeah. You know, especially since we're going to watch some of the back markers fall like flies quickly, I'm sure. <laughs> so. All righty. Well, that's all the stories I have. Uh, we will be eagerly awaiting the first race of the season to see who besides Mercedes succeeds and who bersi- besides McLaren and Marussia fails. <laughs> <laughs> be a very interesting race tomorrow because i think that there's going to be a race and a competition at the front and i think you're going to find one in the mid pack yeah and i think that that's what makes exciting racing is when we have more than just two people fighting for a position but i think you're going to find ferrari and williams battling it out and maybe a red bull pulling up in there it depends on if they can get it put together um and you know we may see mclaren and force india and sauber you know, struggle. Yeah. But anyway, remember last year when Bernie said there was no point in going after social media because young people didn't have any money? Well, yeah, because young people didn't have any money and Bernie's idea of a computer is the digital watch he got 30 years ago in a calculator. You think he still has his Casio watch? No. No, I, I think he's upgraded. I wonder if he'll get an Apple Watch. No, he probably won't. Actually, knowing Bernie, and and actually to put it all in perspective, since Rolex is the official timing sponsor of F1, he probably has a Rolex. Wow. Yeah, and an expensive one at that. Well, I'm sure of that, but some of the kids I went to high school with have Rolexes, so what? (laughs) Okay, then. And they'll probably have the fancy-schmancy Apple Watch. Yeah, probably. Um, anyway, this past week, Formula One tweeted Bernie's tweet. Wait. If Formula One tweeted it, it's not Bernie has an account. Formula oh, okay. One tweeted it. I was going to be like, 
Bernie Bernie tweeted? What? Ber- Bernie did not actually physically tweet. It would be like, you know. Okay, so so in other words, one of his his minions tweeted for him. Was it Steve? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, what he did was he put together Bernie's favorite moments in F1. So they actually went back to the vault. Wait, this is kind of cool. They went back to the vaults and pulled out footage that nobody can ever get their hands on because Bernie doesn't release past footage. Remember mm. that. And it's his favorite moments in F1 um, in a tweet. Are, are, are these the moments that they told Bernie? Were his favorites? Yeah. Because I'm kind of surprised that Bernie can remember last year's season. It wasn't last year's season that they were tweeting. It was, I think it's more like that short-term memory goes before long-term memory goes because it was a lot of the older stuff. Oh, okay. Um, including one piece where somebody runs into a Ferrari truck with their head. Yeah. What? <laughs> you got to go look at the tweet. I'll send it to you so you can repost it. Okay. But there's – I don't know the incident because I wasn't around Formula One at the time. But, yeah, it was – Interesting. All righty. Well, then we will see Bernie's favorite the, moments. The, the tweet crafted for Bernie Eccleston. <laughs> yes. And that's what we will end it on is is the, the tweet that a minion made for Bernie. And uh, other than that, you know, remember we're over at uh, www.theblokeandabird.com. You know, if you got a comment, your own opinion on uh, anything that we've uh, – We've seen so far this weekend, or the race weekend in general, we'd love to hear about it. And uh, you can find us over on Facebook. Uh, just do a search for Bloke and the Bird Show. And uh, down, leave us a review on iTunes. We still don't have any. And I know there are people listening. I can see the stats. So we'd love to get a couple of reviews over on iTunes. But uh, other than that, until next week, I think we'll call it a show. 